at some point in this journey of peace and conflict fundamentals, I need to address what can be a very uncomfortable question, an aspect normally overlooked and misunderstood. At some point, I need to address the help addiction. This is Peace and Conflict Fundamentals. I am Andres Jimenez. certainly come across as excessive when we think of what is generally understood as the very novel and admirable act of helping those least privileged. But the point raised by this term is no less relevant. As we have seen in this podcast series, the act of helping is highly complex and carries with it profound assumptions and generalizations, dangerous misunderstandings, and vast power asymmetries. And although this is not emphasized enough, those that seek to help are also meeting their own needs in the process their needs for maintaining a certain image of themselves, or perhaps their need for satisfaction after having contributed to the betterment of this world. Or maybe their role as helpers can fulfill their need for status and recognition. When we talk about addiction, one of the predominant dynamics that we see is the existence of a complementary relationship between the addict and the source of her addiction. The drug or the feelings produced by a certain activity complements the addict's need for escaping her reality and for numbing her pain. In the same way, a help addiction requires a complementary relationship between the helper and those in need. In other words, both feed off each other and require each other in order for that relationship to continue to exist. Those in need are taught to become dependent on the help brought about by external actors and the helpers continue to require the existence of those in need. Just like a drug, 
requires a regular flow of consumers in the same way that international aid and development industries require a regular flow of crises and interventions in order to justify their continuous existence. International aid and development professionals require those in need in order to maintain their jobs and their relevance. Now, the addict will often deny her addiction. She will underestimate its control over her. And she will often dismiss the troubling effects that the addiction has on her and on others around her. In a similar way, the toxic manifestations of the help addiction can easily be identified by focusing our attention on the countless examples of massive corruption scandals related to the divestment of funds allocated for aid and development projects. The profoundly misguided development initiatives that failed to deliver much of what they initially promised. The overblown budgets required to support the generous salaries of international professionals as opposed to local staff. And the deeply contradictory actions of supporting militarized interventions that must coexist along with democracy promotion and development initiatives. In fact, some would go as far as to say that we can't actually be trusted as the adequate conveyors of help. And by we, I am referring to those privileged enough to be able to dedicate a vast amount of resources to the implementation of assistance projects and initiatives. If we recognize that an addict can't fully be trusted to manage her addiction, in the same way we could say that we can't entirely be trusted with our own desire to help. No matter how good we can identify, measure, and evaluate the numerous problems that societies around the world are facing on a daily basis, can we really expect that the much-needed transformations will be led by the dominant players and actors that have consistently shaped and structured the international system that we currently live in. Much like the addict that is unable to transform her complementary relationship with her drug, which allows her to momentarily escape from her pain. Can the dominant actors in the international system truly transform 
their complementary relationship with those in need. Sure, we can ask the very practical question of what about the hundreds of thousands, perhaps the couple of million people in refugee and displacement camps around the world that survive in large part thanks to the efforts carried out by this global aid and development industry or the millions of people that are able to access some type of support and assistance thanks to the work and the funds provided by large assistance programs and organizations. However, I would argue that the should we simply do nothing and let them die narrative is actually the wrong question to ask. This is a highly seductive question. It appeals to some of our most powerful emotions and it especially connects with our altruistic and empathic sensitivities. But at the same time, we should also be aware that it frames what is a deeply complex debate in a binary perspective that can easily ignore the much more challenging debate of how we might have contributed directly or indirectly to the perpetuation of this need for help. If we don't actively deconstruct the relationships between dominant and non-dominant actors, there is a very real potential for having the coming generations continuing to participate in the perpetuation of asymmetric and dominant power relationships that they might not even be involved in creating. And especially if we don't take the time to analyze and deconstruct these relationships, we will fail to regularly pose the question of whose needs and desires are being prioritized. Can the global aid and development industry, an industry primarily based, funded, and supported by some of the most powerful and wealthy actors in the international stage, truly be trusted to eventually make itself superfluous? Can it be trusted not to perpetuate endless relationships of dependency and subservience? Can we continue to believe that addiction is a problem that can be solved by simply better controlling or regulating the source of the addiction? At the end, we will not be changing the world anytime soon. 
the numbers of people in need of assistance and protection around the world continues to be in the millions. Refugees need to be helped and members of the global aid and development industry need their jobs, their status, and their need for a sense of contribution. But at least the sense of curiosity has now been planted in many of us. The need to explore the extent to which we can learn from seeing the world through a transrational paradigm, from reconnecting and recognizing our baggage and our role as outsiders, from recognizing the inherent potential in complex adaptive systems, and from having the appropriate tools to map them from seeing tricksters as sources of inspiration and from beginning to understand our work as an art form. In my case, this journey of deconstruction and creative exploration has led me to recognize the crucial value in facilitating alternatives, in rendering visible those initiatives already taking place on the ground, and in finding ways of assisting hybrid actors that can navigate and mediate between different paradigms and different worlds. Peace and Conflict Fundamentals is my way of contributing to this process of valuing and shifting our focus towards these hybrid actors, towards these tricksters, and towards a visualization of the help addiction. I am deeply convinced that this is much more of an inner rather than an outer journey. It is much more about looking within as opposed to looking at others. And the final element to remember is that the start of the questioning and inquiry process is the beginning of the transformation journey. A journey that we can only construct alongside others.